Good evening, folks. I'm Brent Hall, and welcome to Night Fright. Tonight we've got a special guest, and this guest has landed on Ramsey Lake right here in Sudbury. Then he's traveled to his own personal island in Killarney, and I'm sure stopping off to eat fish and chips on the way. In truth, he can be considered a citizen of Sudbury, even though he makes his home in the United States. His name may be familiar to some of you. Tom Lipscomb is an investigative reporter. Tom Lipscomb is an investigative journalist and publisher. He was president of Times Books, the New York Times Book Division, when it published the final report of the House Select Committee on Assassinations in 1979. Now, the House Select Committee on Assassinations was established in 1976 to investigate both the John F. Kennedy assassination and the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. The committee investigated until 1978 and in 1979 issued its final report. And this official government investigation concluded, and are you ready for this? that President John F. Kennedy was indeed assassinated by a result of a conspiracy. Thomas H. Lipscomb also edited the complete Bolivian diaries of Che Guevara and other captured documents back in 68. These diaries revealed the true nature of Che, not the romantic humanitarian that his myth proclaims, but a cold, calculating murderer. Tonight on Night Fright, it's the President John Kennedy assassination and Che Guevara. Get ready for an incredible ride. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. Now your host, Brent Holland. And I'm pleased to welcome on the phone all the way from, I think you're in New York, aren't you, Tom? Tom Lipscomb is with us tonight. Hi there. Yes, I am. I'm in New York. And how's the weather tonight, my friend, in New well, York? Well, it's colder here than it is there. And you're coming here for a Tim Hortons, I hear. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be great fun. <laughs> you're more than welcome. I thought I'd bring my palm tree down to Ramsey Lake. <laughs> oh, Tom, it's a great pleasure to speak with you tonight. Um, what do you say we start off? Maybe you can, uh, let's start off right away. We'll jump right in. How about that uh, with the Kennedy assassination, and then we'll move on to Che Guevara. Okay. Uh, well, let's start off. Where were you when Kennedy was killed? I was actually a, a young army officer out in, in the desert of California, and I was shopping because I was the head of a 
of a, a rifle and pistol team, an Army competitive team. We go all over the country and shoot against other teams, the Marines and other things. Uh, and I was buying marksmanship trophies, and I was in the sporting goods store, and then on the radio, the fact that Kennedy had been shot comes over the radio. Wow. It was very, very strange. That's a bizarre story right there. It, <laughs> uh, um, let's talk about a little bit. Uh, I know you were you were part of an army um, rifle team. Yep. And after the assassination, uh, we had talked before about this that you tried to duplicate the shot that Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly took. Well, my guys were, of course, competitive rifle shots, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, they were fascinated with the fact that somehow. Four shots got off in like six seconds, and with a bolt-action rifle, uh, those are those are the people up there who who hear your show. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're any kind of hunter, you can't imagine how you're going to get four shots off in a bolt-action rifle in six seconds. So that seemed very unlikely. But the thing that made it even even more unlikely was that basically the Mavlicker Kakarno carbine, which was used by Levy Harvey Oswald, mm -hmm. had a bolt action that instead of feeling like a, you know, a knife through butter, a hot knife through butter, was more like, you know, broken glass uh, or something. It was just just highly difficult to move that bolt, and uh, it 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 takes forever with a bolt action Kakarno. So we actually had one of the guys at, at the base who had a Mandelker Kakarno. He bought from Klein, the same mail order house that Oswald had bought his from. Wow. What a okay. coincidence. And we said, okay, huh. let's, let, let's do yeah. it. So we measured off the distance and we kept trying and trying. We had four or five different marksmen try to duplicate what Lee Harvey Oswald had done. Mm -hmm. We had no reason to believe anyone was lying to us. You know, uh, we were days, we yeah. were you know good solid military types who follow orders and, mm -hmm. and assume the government's telling us the truth. But after a week or two of trying to make this manlicker perform, nobody could get remotely like like four shots off, and you you couldn't get four shots off in ten seconds. Never mind the six that. But never mind mm -hmm. in the six seconds and and connecting three times from a wild angle. Have you ever been to Daly Plaza, Tom? Yeah. And have you looked out through that window in the yep. sixth floor? What's what's it like? Do you think it, there is a possibility, even remote? That that oh, could... sure. I mean, but not with a bolt-action Kikardo. No way. Eh? Any yeah. kind of semi-automatic rifle, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's a, uh, you know, a man, a, a uh, what do they call them, a, a Garand uh, M1 rifle or an AR-16 or any number of different rifles, I can tell you would be just no problem because it's it's a very short range it's not a long range shot how many feet would you say it is well there there're a couple of different shots the closest one was like 70 feet away see for I me mean, that would it, be difficult that's that's really easy the trouble was it was a tree in the way mhm mm and that one apparently missed that zinged off mm -hmm. the pavement because the tree was in the way when he pulled the trigger on that one that was the easiest one, okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, but if you begin to look at the evidence as to how many shots were actually fired, as opposed to the Warren Commission, you end up with a lot of different amounts of shots. <laughs> 
depending on who you listen to or what the evidence is. And there there were more than four shots. That's all I can tell you for sure, having looked at all the evidence. Now, Tom, when you tried to duplicate Oswald's shot, was this yep. before the Warren Commission or after the Warren Commission? Oh, this is before the Warren Commission. This was actually in... Uh, December of 1963 was within three or four weeks of oh, the actual wow. assassination. Did, See, we were all mm-hmm, just heartbroken by this. We thought we thought President Kennedy hung the moon. We were all believers. Mm-hmm. And you've got you, we, there are there are grown men crying on this army base because we were so fond of him. Was the euphoria very sim- was the euphoria very similar to what we're seeing? These days with Obama? No, the Obama thing is 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 based upon ignorance. The uh, Kennedy thing was based upon some knowledge. Oh, why don't we go into that? Okay. <laughs> Sounds like we just opened up a Pandora's box. Let's go. Let's dive right in. That's what this sure. show is all about. Uh, well, you've got to understand the the the, the difference back in 1963 uh-huh. was the media basically were not hypercritical of any political candidates. The media knew mm-hmm. all about Jack Kennedy's girlfriends and all the rest of this, and they wouldn't put it in the paper. Really, eh? Yep. Now you think about uh, Bill Clinton yeah, and, and Monica Lewinsky. That. That's right. Now yeah. all bets are off, okay? Yeah. You're wide but open. the difference is that the Obama campaign, because of his being black, mm-hmm. the press just simply lay down and went to sleep. It didn't look into anything. We know nothing about Obama. That's a very good point. Okay. Yeah. So basically, with Jack Kennedy, we didn't know all the sexual picadillos, but pretty much everything else about him, we knew. Because the Mm -hmm. press, remember, there were a lot more newspapers in the world at that particular point. Mm -hmm, That's true. There were also a lot of them that were Republican rather than Democratic newspapers. Remember, Jack Kennedy was elected by a tiny a tiny majority. 100,000 people or something. That's right. Yeah. The joke basically was that if everybody had, in Cook County, uh, <laughs> you know, had gone to the window at the same time, uh, he would not have been president. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack Kennedy said. told a very funny story on himself because there were many complaints mm-hmm. that Joe Kennedy had bought the election. Yeah, I like this. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, you know that story. Yeah, Ted, and, I read Ted Sorensen's book. Uh, it was in it. The nice thing about President Kennedy was he was so easy with the press, he could handle almost any nasty question you wanted to throw at him. So. He said, now I understand some of you people believe that my father bought this election in Cook County and spent a fortune. I said, that's because you don't know my father. My father wouldn't buy one more vote than was required for me to win. <laughs> Isn't that great? I think so. I th- we all priceless. thought it was great. We were all totally charmed. Yeah. No one before or since has ever run a press conference like Jack Kennedy. Now, what was it about Jack Kennedy, that magical persona, that really enthralled you? Well, there are people, as we all know in life, I mean, anyone listening to your show knows there's two or three people they can remember in their lives who could charm the birds out of the trees. You know, Mm -hmm. they could just simply, their smile made everybody in the room happy. I've known two people like that in my life, but Jack Kennedy was certainly one of them. Did you ever have an opportunity to see him live or, or meet no, him? No, I didn't. I met his wife several times, Is but I never right? met him. And how was Jacqueline? When how you met what? Her? Yeah, how was Jacqueline when you met her? Oh, 
Uh oh. <laughs> well, here know, comes a scandal, folks. <laughs> I, I hate to tell you, but she wasn't very bright. Is that right? Nope. Whoa, the opposite she of her was, husband. She was a brood cow. <laughs> oh, God. What did he, she say? He, to married, he married her to have children. Is that's all? Yep. Really? Yep. Oh man. She was in love with him, and oh. uh, you know, the, the the Kennedy men were not, shall we say, the loving kind. Mm. <laughs> or if they were the loving kind, they were also the leaving kind. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Bobby was the exception to that rule? No, Bobby was Bobby. Bobby was <laughs> was like the caboose. Whatever Jack got on the engine, oh Bobby would God. get on the caboose later. Oh, geez! So all those rumors about him and Marilyn are true? Well, I'm not sure about that. Uh, the, the, the Marilyn story I've, I've actually worked on. It's extremely mm -hmm. interesting. There's just no doubt that Bobby was heavily involved in making sure Marilyn didn't blow up on his brother Jack when he was president. Well, here's a, a multi-million dollar question. Here's another conspiracy. Do you feel Marilyn Monroe was uh, murdered? It's very hard to tell. Uh, I actually worked on a book with the, the coroner mm -hmm. of Los Angeles, who was a Japanese guy, very sharp. Uh, and uh, what was his name? Yamaguchi, I think. I can't. Remember. Is that the same guy that uh, worked on Bobby Kennedy's? Uh, uh huh. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. was a celebrity coroner. Yamaguchi, I think his name is. I think so too. Yeah. Uh, I never could get it exactly right. Uh, but the the, uh, the 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 question basically was there there was some evidence that she might have been killed by a suppository. Yeah, I saw that on that documentary, too, on the History Channel. I don't know about that. I think that was Anthony Solomon's book that that came out of. Well, it could be. But, you know, basically, she was in pretty bad shape at the time, and it's perfectly possible that she OD'd, and that was all there was to it. Mm -hmm. But there's just no doubt at all that Peter Lawford and Bobby were up to their necks in that entire business with Jack Kennedy. And they were doing damage control as best they could. Mm. Do you feel that some of that may have rubbed over into the cover-up about no. the candidate? No, nothing. No, I don't think so. I think. Okay. I think. I think the the, the you know the, the cover-up of the Kennedy assassination was at the highest level of the government. Mm. Can you explain more on that? On, on your well, feelings it was, about it that? Well, it was kind of interesting. Uh, one of the things that occurred, having worked with very high-level people. I had access when I started looking at the Kennedy assassination because, of course, if just think about it, you're a young lieutenant, and this all happens mm. when you're like 21 years old. You get you, you're dying to know what happened, and mm -hmm. I wish I could say that all these many years later I now know for sure. I don't. What I do know, having talked to people like Don Hewitt, the the famous uh, head of 60 Minutes, or or uh, uh, Senator. Baker, who was the Senate Majority Leader of the Republican Party, uh, any Gerald mm -hmm. Ford. I've talked to any number of people over the years. You talked to and Gerald I get Ford. Bits and pieces. Tom, you talked to Gerald Ford. Yep. Is that well? Okay, we'll come back to him after. I don't want to interrupt okay. you. I'll just come back to him uh, after. because I was trying to run down various and sundry pieces of the story. First thing I was trying to run down was every t if you were President of the United States, Brett, uh -huh. and you. You're, you're Barack Obama, okay? You're sitting down in the Oval Office, 
And now you can get all the questions answered, right? Yes. Is there an Easter bunny? No. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know Santa Claus is Canadian. He lives on there the North you Pole. Santa Claus has got to be go. Canadian. But I tell you, <laughs> one of the first things I'd want to know is who killed yeah, Jack Kennedy. Absolutely. So I asked uh, Senator Baker, who was very close to the Republicans, particularly he was close to uh, Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. That's and Richard right. Nixon's great nemesis was Jack Kennedy, That's right? That's right, absolutely. And because Kennedy had beat him in a direct mm-hmm. election, and Nixon was always kind of fond of Kennedy in this peculiar... Of course, what about Nixon wasn't peculiar, but mm-hmm. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so basically I said, I said, hey, hey, Senator Baker, I mean, did you ever talk to the president about this? Mm-hmm. He said, of course. I was dying to know what he found out. And I said, so what did he say? Thinking, now I'm finally going to learn this right from the horse's mouth. He said, he said, he said, Howard, you don't want to know. Oh, man. What a loaded response. Oh, my God. Well, that got me going, okay? You don't want to know. Well, that's confirmation that something did Then I said to him, happen. I said, well, what did the Secret Service tell you guys? Mm-hmm. And Baker tells me, the Secret Service said, that the assassination was bad enough, but the cover-up took years. God. Oh, my God. So, basically, with all the speculation you've had on your sh- wonderful show by all those people Thank who've you. done so much work and made so little money, because yes. one of the things you've, really, you've remarked upon several times, and it's true, people have spent years and years on this, done their very best, and haven't made five cents out of it. It's cost them money. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. But the idea that they... So what I really do know from my own experience, I know that there was a conspiracy because what Oswald supposedly did is actually impossible. Mm -hmm, Because you've proved it. Mm -hmm. And the minute there are two people, there's a conspiracy. That's right. Okay. So basically, what Oswald did was impossible. I know that from my own experience. And I also, because I thought, well, maybe we screwed up. Maybe, this, But CBS tried to reproduce it. That's right. Many mm-hmm. other people tried to reproduce this thing, and it doesn't work. You can't no. do it, period. They could never uh, duplicate what Oswald did? No. Not even close. No. And so basically with that, whatever else you want to posit about the Kennedy assassination, we know there was a conspiracy one. Uh, we know, number two, that our government elected, whatever the truth is, is who did it. Our government elected not to tell the world who did it or mm-hmm. why they did it. Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. The thing I called Gerald Ford about out at Rancho Mirage or wherever he was on the West Coast was he was dying. I called him because I wanted to know... He was the one who, in the middle of the, towards the end, when they're closing up the investigation, mm-hmm. comes running back in. Remember this extraordinary event? He, he comes running no. back in. And the, the story was that Gerald yes. Ford was really the water boy for CIA. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. Oh, I thought it was the CIA. Okay, I'm mistaken. No. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. The CIA, The CIA was worried about this so far as anyone can tell at any rate. And this is what stands to reason for me, but there's no real evidence of this. And we have to keep reminding, you're hearing on your show a lot of really fine speculation. Mm -hmm. 
but there's no real evidence. The CIA, if anything, if we're if the Cuban connection is correct, mm-hmm. okay, uh, or people involved in the Bay of Pigs or in the uh, other the, the Operation Mongoose, et cetera, were involved. Well, then CIA people were involved. Mm-hmm. The CIA's main interest was making sure there were no bloody footprints coming back to its operation on this. What they call in the intelligence parlance blowback. That's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but as far as the CIA doing it, there's no evidence of that that I can find. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, so basically, it was the FBI, and I want to know if Ford could remember yeah. why he came back in and reopened several rather critical items. Oh, he did that. Okay, you're educating me. Thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he couldn't remember. He couldn't remember? That's the answer he gave? Well, you see, it, it, remember, the magic bullet happened rather late in the entire Warren Commission report. Mm-hmm, because of James Tate. And Tate. you remember the response of Senator Russell and others when that happened? Yeah, he refused to sign it at He first. wouldn't sign it. That's right. Yeah. You know, uh, so there's absolutely no reason. And, and of course, LBJ, President Johnson, was busy trying to force them to conclude he wanted that report out. As fast as possible. So the, the pressure was to ram something through, to get it adopted, and to say, well, that's the end of that, and it worked. Now, I should tell the folks, too, Gerald Ford was on the Warren Commission, and, of course, everybody knows now that the Warren Commission investigated the President John F. Kennedy assassination. Gerald Ford took the actual bullet hole that was, I don't know, five inches down That's the back, right. he moved the and he moved it up. He moved it up <laughs> in the report. Now, obviously, he didn't move it up on the body. No, but, but you see, it became inconvenient. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and he, he was said asked that. to go back in and change the diagram. So, Ray, there's another red flag. Well, that's what I called him about. Yeah, I can't I said, remember. Why did you do that? He didn't remember. Uh huh. <laughs> wow. So that tells you, you know. But well, it doesn't tell me anything any more than all I can say is I'm getting all this heavy breathing. You know, it's like a bad sex scene. <laughs> <laughs> heavy breathing from Harold Baker. You don't want to know. <laughs> heavy breathing from Gerald Ford. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, here the you know. I mean, yeah. then I've got I've got uh, uh, Don Hewitt from 60 Minutes mm-hmm. who sees Bobby Kennedy. At Hickory Hill, mm-hmm. Kennedy's estate in in, in uh, uh, northern, I guess, in middle, near Middleburg, Virginia, and he goes to see Bobby a week after the assassination, and they're good friends. Mm-hmm. Very good. And friends. he asks yeah. them right out. He says, "Well, Mr. Attorney General, uh, I guess it's in your hands. Do you think this was a conspiracy? Are you going to look into this?" Okay, and good question. By Don mm-hmm. Hewitt. Bobby says, it doesn't matter. Jack's dead and nothing's going to bring him back. Mm-hmm. So for those who think that Bobby Kennedy was, you know, going to do this, that, and the other, it's just not true if Don Hewitt's telling the truth. And I have no... And Hewitt was so stunned by the reaction of Bobby Kennedy. I can't... It, I, as a reporter, it 
it stands to reason to me that Don Hewitt's telling what he heard. Oh, I'm sure he is. I'm yep. sure he is. Within a half hour uh, or an hour of Bobby learning about the death of his brother, he called John McCone over to, I think he was at Hickory Hill also, yep. and asked him point blank. John McCone, I should tell folks, was the head of the CIA at the time. Bobby asked him point blank, did the CIA do this? And John McCone answered truthfully. He said, as far as I know, we didn't. So that's kind of a red flag, too. I mean, why would Bobby even suspect that some inside government agency would have assassinated his brother? Well, I think that Bobby knew the tremendous anger that many felt about uh, the president pulling the air support for the Bay of Pigs operation. Mm -hmm. And it was the CIA who ran that operation. That's right. There was a recent movie that was really very fine called The Good Shepherd. I don't know if you saw it. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah. A fictionalized version of James Angleton. With Matt uh, Damon playing James Yeah, Angleton. Matt Damon yeah. doing a fabulous job. It's, it, you know, rent it. If you've got a cold winter night up there in Sudbury, <laughs> rent The Good <laughs> Shepherd, and you can kind of see what a, a, a non-propaganda view of how the CIA operated in that day and age was really like. Mm -hmm. Well done. Very well done, I agree with you. Yeah. I've watched it several times. So I've spent years and years and years talking to the parties of all this with a very open mind. For example, I think, I think uh, you know that Frank Regano, who was a mafia lawyer for Santos Traficante. Traficante. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> it's <laughs> and a, also it's, it's a little for bit Jimmy of a joke, Hoffa, folks. Yes. Uh, was the guy who heard... Santos Traficante, who was the boss of Miami for the mob, that's right. Tell yeah. him that they were. He told him in advance they're going to hit the president, and if you're going to kill us, he says, "Well, why don't you hit Bobby Kennedy?" Says Regano. Traficante says, "If you're going to kill a snake, you hit it in the head." Yeah, you cut the head off. Cut the head off, and it seemed to have worked because Bobby yeah. backed down after that. Yeah, Bobby back down. So it's really it's really fascinating when you think you look at all this stuff. Now Bobby was running for president. Uh he was trying to get the nomination, I should say, in sixty eight, June sixty eight, and he was assassinated as we all know. He... Yeah, Bobby's the only person who's ever been ever been a victim of seventeen bullet holes with a gun that only shot six <laughs> shots. You must be clairvoyant because you just brought up something I was going to ask you. Your opinion of the Bobby Kennedy assassination, I guess you've just answered that. Yeah, I'm afraid there was more, more than Sirhan Sirhan involved in that. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it's quite obvious at this point And there's a lot of speculations of about who else was involved and why it was done and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. But the, the amazing thing I think we're, we've all been learning, if we've been keeping our eyes open in the last 50 years, is that governments can hide an awful lot of information and there's not a thing any of us can do about it. Isn't that sad, though, in a democracy? Um, I was talking with John Kellen last week, and we were talking about Harold Weisberg, who was one of the first-generation researchers, and the battles he went up in Freedom of Information Acts, and several of them he won. But it cost him his savings to do it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think it's so sad in a democracy that we have to go bankrupt to find out the truth from our well, own I think, government. I think, I think, I don't know if in Canada it's the same situation we have in the States, but the British have a wonderful loser pays law that 
uh, it's really not fair whether you're you're up in Canada mm-hmm. or you're in the United States or or wherever you are when you when the government does something wrong gov- you're up against government attorneys paid That's for right. but with your tax dollars as That's well as everyone right. else's and you have to pay your own way yeah a good friend of mine Har- Howard Galganoff is going through the same thing now he's challenging some of the uh, language laws yep and uh, he's fighting the government, and it's his tax dollars that are paying for the lawyer that's against him. Well, it seems to me that if the government loses, they pay my attorney. That would be fair. Okay. Don't you think? I think that's fair. Well, I think it's fair because because it's not, it is not an equal, if, if the purpose of a democracy is to make sure the government is not a tyranny. Exactly. Then letting them use their ta- our tax dollars to prosecute private citizens for whatever pur- purposes that are not sustained. Mm-hmm. To meet their own ends. Yeah, to meet their own ends. It yeah. could be some political purpose, etc. Mm-hmm. That's right. We have a situation in the United States today where government, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter. The latest thing is that government prosecutors will try to criminalize what used to be civil behavior. Mm. In other words, where, what, something that used to be mm-hmm. a civil lawsuit you know, you put your foot in the trough or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's now criminal. You criminally intended to pollute the trough. And corporations cannot afford to have a criminal suit against them from a government entity. So they settle. Mm-hmm. So I mean, the prosecutors now have got a way of, of, of unfairly getting an advantage over corporations and individuals by taking what should be a civil case, making a criminal case out of it, so that basically the exposure can hurt you so much that the government is looking into a criminal suit. So as this gets worse and worse, and government uses the law as Mm -hmm. a club against its own citizens, it seems to me that you should have total refund of all your expenses in the event the government's uh, hunting expedition against you doesn't work. Well, let's go into that a little bit. Since 9-11, do you feel the laws have changed for the better or for the worse for personal well, rights? Well, I think, I think in some ways they've changed for the better. The, 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 the Chinese wall mm-hmm. uh, that was set up so that investigating agencies couldn't see what other investigating agencies had already found out, so we weren't able to connect the dots and head off 9-11, mm-hmm. that's been fixed. About time. Yeah, Jamie, what's her name, was responsible for that. Who's now come come back from the dead in the Obama administration? Hmm. Uh, she set that up. I, they were, it was well intended, but it was wooden headed. Okay, so that got straightened out. We've also there's not a thing wrong with listening in, whether you're in Canada, or the United States, on phone calls by terrorists from abroad I agree who are trying to reach contacts in say Ontario or New York I agree wholeheartedly okay mm-hmm. I haven't got a problem with that neither do any of the courts in the United States mm-hmm. but but people who get all upset about the big brother are really missing the point the object wasn't to listen in on the US end it was to listen to the terrorists on the other end we know who they are mm-hmm. and if they have to be ordering a pizza from the Sudbury pizza shop well okay mm. <laughs> <laughs> so be it. But yeah. people forget. Uh, that, that so I, I think, I think that, that by and large, they got more realistic. Uh, things happen at such velocity in a digital world. It isn't like a letter that takes two weeks to get from Dubai to uh, Ontario. That's right. 
okay? Mm -hmm. This is something that happens in split seconds. And if you haven't got the ability to constantly scan, you're going to miss it. That's right. With drastic results, too. I mean, look yeah, at 9-11. Yeah, the results are pretty god-awful. You know, it's not like uh, there's going to be a bomb and perhaps somebody may die. Well, you could Chemical weapons, etc., etc. Well, we're, we're having, I think, a constructive argument about what can and cannot be done, you know, in, as far as uh, uh, incarcerating uh, unconvicted terrorists or interrogating them. That's, that's all the kind of things democracy should talk about. But the other stuff seems to me to be perfectly in order. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100%. I'm probably in the minority, yep. but I do agree with you. Um, the bottom line is the weapons that are out there now that can be used against us will virtually destroy us. Uh, well, you, you can, you can, you know, we we've just seen by turning airliners into into missiles, uh, a a terrorist organization. It's not even a nation state. It's not even a war. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that you know, it's it, the the normal uh, legal structures are set up for nation state disputes. But when you have four GW fourth generation warfare. And you're not even dealing with nation states. You, your recourses have to be different. Completely different. Yeah, it's not a conventional war in any sense. Mm. No. Um, any suggestions how to fight this war? Well, I think we've. We, I think the United States, in spite of all the criticism we've gotten, did the first essential thing. You go fight it in their backyard. Yeah, I, I agree with that one okay. too. Okay. Yes. I mean, I think what Bush did in Iraq was brilliant. Me too. Oh, boy, am I ever going to get killed on this one? I know. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. You take the war to their backyard. <laughs> absolutely. You plop 150,000 U.S. troops on the border of Syria, Saudi Arabia, pucker Iran. Up. Yep, pucker up. I, I mean, whoa. <laughs> Strategically, and, look and where it's located. The power of yep. having those forces sitting there is such that their their notions as to which particular hotel in, in um, British Columbia to take down tomorrow uh, somehow stalls. <laughs> <laughs> well, it causes Iran to, to pause and, it, and everybody it, else it, on the border. Yeah, well, it seems to have caused them to pause a great deal. They just had to back down on Hamas in Gaza. That's right. Yeah. Okay, everybody expected them. And, they also, and Hezbollah... In up in Syria wouldn't open another front, mm -hmm. and we've just beaten them in Iraq. I mean, the Iranians are reeling. They're in big. Everybody in the Gulf is laughing at them. Mm -hmm. They yeah. have enemies besides us. Oh, for sure they do. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. you know they're they're Shiites and, and, and uh, Sunnis. Yeah. All the Sunnis hate their guts. So basically, actually, my it, my it, honey's it, a Persian. Yeah, well, so, I, you know, I think I, they're, quite, they're fascinating yeah. people. Uh, Much Persian Canadian. And, and <laughs> yeah. proud of it, and proud. You notice I said Persian and not Iranian. There's a reason for that. Of course. Well, I'm I'm writing a book about uh, them right now. Oh, talk about it. Let's talk about it. This oh, is great, oh, Tom. I can't. It's, it's, oh. it's a secret project, but well, basically it it involves a brilliant 4GW maneuver by Iran against the United States. Can you keep me posted on that when you can? Mm -hmm. Great. Be oh, happy yeah. to. That'd be terrific. Uh, it, I should tell people, look at that time, holy God. People, we are speaking with Tom Lipscomb. Tom Lipscomb is a 
investigative reporter, publisher. He is a man that has been in touch with Gerald Ford, all kinds of famous people that you would know in politics. He is opinionated, and I love it. <laughs> he has published the House Select Committee on Assassins, Assassinations. Uh, he's also yep. published the personal diaries of Che Guevara, who we shall talk about in the second hour tonight. You're listening to CKLU 96.7 FM, www.cklu.ca, on the Internet, anywhere in the world. Uh, I was mentioning before that I was in Istanbul a few weeks ago, and you can actually listen to CKLU there. You cannot watch YouTube as it is censored. Huh. But you can certainly listen to CKLU because we're not censored yet. <laughs> Back to Tom. Tom, let's talk some more about the JFK assassination. Well, before you do, I sure, say hello, Istanbul. I grew up there as a child. Is that right? Yep. I hated it there, Tom. I What's that? I, I hated it there. I apologize it, to you. It was five thousand dollars flushed down the drain. Well, you should have called me first. I think I should have. Because I could tell you where you could stay for $99 a night, and you could throw your beer can and hit Santa Sofia right across the street. <laughs> <laughs> and I, by the way, before you go on, I want to say hi to everybody up in Killarney, because I used to have yeah. an island off there that, that, uh, for many years. And, and well, I, I love your neck of the woods, Sudbury and Killarney, that whole magic world of Georgian Bay. I'll tell you what, let's talk a, a few minutes about your experiences up here. I'm sure people would love it. Well, I, I uh, started coming up, I married a girl whose grandfather had bought an island off Killarney, right off Badgley Island. Wow, okay. And it was a gorgeous place, uh, and, and his name was Branch Rickey. And he was president of Brooklyn Dodgers, and he's the one who brought Jackie Robinson into baseball. Oh, my color line. God. And everybody forgets that Jackie Robinson's first major league or first big baseball job was in Montreal. Montreal. The Royals. The Royals. Yeah, that's right. And that was, a, that was one of the farm teams for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Holy cow. I didn't know Branch Ricky had yep. an so Ricky, Ricky got up there. He loved it. He loved to fish. Wow. And he had his entire family, three generations of them. They're still there on Ricky Island, right off off Badgley, right off the coast of Killarney. That's an incredible story. And anyone who hasn't been to Killarney should go there. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. It truly is. And uh, it's, it's like old Canada in the old days. And people like Jamie Pittsfield at Pittsfield Store and Frank Rock and Jarvis and all those wonderful people up there make that a very, very special part of our world, and I've, I've loved the years I've spent with them. Thanks very much for that. Are you ever going to come back up? Oh, sure. Well, when you do, my friend, you give me a call, and uh, I'll take you out in downtown Sudbury. Go. I want, I, I've got to go back to Canadian Tire. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're living on the edge here now. We have a Walmart, I'll let you know. Uh, terrible. You have Walmart, next thing you know, you're going to have Best Buy. <laughs> we could only hope we have a future shop. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of sources, but I hear they're in trouble. Well, thank you for letting me say hi to Killarney. And Sudbury was great, too. I'll, I'll never forget the only Dairy Queen I could mm -hmm. see on mm -hmm. the East Coast, which you've got in the, at the mall there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love Dairy Queen. <laughs> if you ever, thank God it's radio, because if you ever took a look at me, you'd know I do too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I digress. <laughs> yeah. Where were we? Oh, uh, oh, we were talking about uh, poor John F. Kennedy. Yep. Can you speculate for us, uh, Tom, and let us know what you think happened? What conspired uh, that particular day, and um, how far up the ladder it actually went? Would you say how far up the ladder? What What do you mean by that? Who ordered the shot? The shots, I should say. Clarify. Uh, Spe- pure speculation. I, I think. I think. I think Frank Regano had it right. I think basically. The irony of ironies in mm-hmm. all this, we've got the, the whole Operation Mongoose angle, we've got all these other things. That's right. But it really gets down to some very ancient history that Joe Kennedy oh. and his bootlegging activity uh-huh. rebounded. He made a deal with John Connor. We'll never know what that deal is. Okay. Uh-huh. But when Jack Kennedy jokes about his dad buying Cook County, which, as we now can see with Obama, is an infinitely viable place. Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's it, the mm. the old the story in many a novel. Uh, uh, who's the author of The Godfather? I'm trying to remember his name. Oh, Mario uh, Puzo. Yeah, I knew Mario Puzo. Mario Puzo used to say he said this is true. Mario knew a lot about the mob. And he said, he said, you know, as long as you don't do business with them, they won't come into your life. Mm. Okay? Mm-hmm. But if you do business with them, you've now got a relationship. And how you handle that is a life and death matter. Whoa. That's so ominous. Joe Kennedy, uh, old Joe Kennedy, mm-hmm. if indeed he did pay off whoever it took to get Cook County taken mm-hmm. care of. And by the way, Richard Nixon thought they had. Yes, I know he did. Yeah, It was brought to him after the election, mm-hmm. evidence, and they said, you can reopen it, you have grounds. And he said, it's not going to be good for the United States for me to do that. Mm. I don't want to shake people's faith in the election system. So for people who hate Richard Nixon, that's a pretty statesman-like action on his part. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, but there's a famous line. Given in, that, there's a famous uh, line, uh, Tom, in in uh, Stone's movie Nixon, um, where uh, one of his aides comes to Nixon and says, "Listen, you'll have to let it go this time, Richard. You're only 47. Kennedy stole the election fair and square." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I think that. I don't think Nixon saw himself as only being 47. I think Nixon knew how unattractive a person he was in many ways and how mm. attractive Kennedy was. And I think I think Nixon, you know, really thought it was over. But let's assume that he did think it was over. What an amazingly gracious thing for him to do not to pursue that. Yeah, I agree. I you know, agree. So, so basically, assuming the mob tipped the balance, Assuming the mob had got along fine with Joe and his fortune was was uh, heavily based upon income in that area, because mm-hmm. no one's ever tied any of that down. I think Richard Whalen's the founding father, has some wonderful material on that. So there was a relationship there, and remember, Joe Kennedy was also active in Hollywood. Oh, very much so. Okay, in a yes. day in which we knew how they worked these things. Mm-hmm. Out. So, if you look at all that, 
And then you have the Giancana and the Judith Campbell Exner relationship. Mm, that's true, too. Yes, okay. that's right. Now you've got the Carlos Marcello situation, where Bobby picks up Carlos Marcello. He can't get him on anything. But Bobby Kennedy was a nasty fellow. All these people who get all weepy about how wonderful he was and how huggy and, and warm and fuzzy. And poor and downtrodden. He was a nasty customer. I knew many people who knew him for many years, and mm. he was not a nice person. Neither was his wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and Bobby has nothing on Carlos Marcello. Marcello is one of the great godfathers of the country, like mm -hmm. John Connor. He's got New Orleans. And everybody forgets this, but New Orleans was the oldest mafia center in the United States. It's yeah, the first place the mafia took mm -hmm. power in America. And Carlos is the don of uh, New Orleans. And Bobby has him taken on a plane and dropped off in Central America. Because he doesn't have an American citizenship. Yeah, he doesn't have an American <laughs> citizenship. <laughs> Could you imagine in this day and age just grabbing a citizen like that and saying, bye-bye? I think they call it rendition, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's some I people I know I'd like them to do that. <laughs> yeah, I gather it's a, considered a very bad thing these days. <laughs> so here's Carlos, you know, in, in good old down, you know, some airfield on a banana farm in Tegucigalpa or something. I think he was in his pajamas, too, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's in PJs. Yeah, that's You can't right. leave me like this. <laughs> and he says, watch us, and they fly off. They fly there off and leave him there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, was it Guatemala they dropped him in? I think it was Guatemala, I yeah. Think so too. yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, you, given the CIA coup, I'm sure they knew every landing strip in Guatemala. Oh, tell me about that one, yeah. Yeah, so basically... This this did it, because not only having given Chicago and the election to, the, to old Joe Kennedy's family, mm -hmm. Bobby Goes was after. making their life hell. Yes. The Cosa Nostra hearings, all the rest of this stuff is going on. Mm -hmm. And it's really hurting them. Remember, these guys had lost Havana. Big time. Big yep. time. Now, Havana was making more money for them than than, uh, than Las Vegas. That's right. I think it was to the tune of a billion dollars a day. Oh, it was or huge. A, a it was unbelievably huge. Yeah, just cranking it out. And basically, to lose... So then they, having had this love-hate relationship with Operation Mongoose, the mob was delighted. Anything they could do to get rid of Castro, they were for. So we see this constant... When you have a a relationship over many, many years between the Kennedys and the mob. And then the mob thinks the Kennedys have, have basically shafted them. After all the things the mob tried to mm -hmm. do, they helped Joe with his business originally. They got Jack elected. They got it on Operation Mongoose. And now Bobby does this? That's good motivation to, to murder somebody. Well... It's it, they want they 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 are going to go out of business if they don't get Bobby out of there. Mm. Okay, this is the most pain they've felt anywhere ever, and they hadn't lost it yet. They still mm -hmm. at the top of their power. Do you think there was a, a side deal where if they removed? I'm just speculating now. I, 
If they After remove all the Jack... time you spent talking to all these people, I should think you would be speculating. <laughs> Do you think there was a side deal that perhaps if they removed... Uh, Jack Kennedy, that whoever would come to power after that, and Johnson, perhaps there's, there's would... There's no, no evidence There's of no it. evidence of it, Eddie. Okay. Not, not the, there's not the slightest bit of evidence of it, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, it looks like between Ruby and all the people around and the whole way the thing went down, you can see mob people all over the place, Johnny Roselli being there at the motel, et cetera. Yes, okay? yes, yeah. Okay. Um uh, Jack Ruby, all connected. Then you've got this kind of this kind of weirdo group of spooks, you know, like we're talking about very oddball type <laughs> operators. They're yeah. not. They're, they didn't go to Yale. Let's put it that way. In no, that I day know. and age, the guys in the in the agency were pretty Ivy League and pretty liberal Democrat. They weren't mm -hmm. right wing Republicans. And yet, if you look at the at the various CIA types associated and and involved in the aspects of what the Kennedys were doing, they're a very weird bunch. Lots of Cubans, mm -hmm. a lot of cowboys, mm -hmm. you know. And they're so when John McCone says the agency, so far as I know, had nothing to do with it. Well, there's their agencies and their agencies. You know what I mean? compartments of the agency. Yeah, compartmentalized. Yes. There are operation teams all over the place. Yeah. yeah. And uh, John McCone didn't even know the name of these guys. Isn't that interesting, eh? That uh, he was at the helm, but he was, well, there's a word, helm, Richard Helms. Well, but he was kept out of the uh, the loop. Well, the, yeah, but, you know, part of the game was keeping out of the loop. <laughs> You've heard the expression deniability. Deniability, isn't yep. that? Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. So, so, but you see, that's why when people get these these huge theories of this, that, and the other, it's a little hard mm -hmm. to make it stick. Okay, so the mob assassinates Kennedy. What were they hoping to do by assassinating? Was it just a, a pure stop Bobby move, or were they? Yeah. That's it, eh? It's, okay. It's not complicated. Okay. Fair and, you enough. know, LBJ was a crook. So, yeah, that's what everybody says. <laughs> he was. He, he, he made his fortune uh -huh. by getting TV station licenses and radio station licenses through Lady Bird. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Isn't that interesting? I didn't know that. That's where his money came from. And the, the, so he, there he was in the... He, he didn't have two nickels to rub together. She was a classy lady. He married her. And she was the he was his bag man. Huh. 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 Okay. Yeah. So he, it wasn't that he was dirty or in the numbers or dog races or anything. He just basically was was uh, out there to enrich himself. So do you feel that after all this time, I asked you this the other night when we did our pre-production meeting. I asked you why Ted Kennedy never followed suit and did some investigating on his own. Would you like to discuss your response to me and tell well, the people what you remind said? me what my response was. I'll see if it's the same one tonight. <laughs> Ted Kennedy self-serving. Yeah, well, tell, so Ted Kennedy, to begin with, is not very bright. <laughs> okay. I mean, he the, it kind of got strained through the sheets by the time he came along. Mm. He was not very <laughs> bright. <laughs> <Remember>? <laughs> oh, my God. 
<laughs> Thank God it's community radio, folks. No, that's all right. Every, your community knows exactly what I'm talking Absolutely. about. Absolutely. Every community should. <laughs> but the upshot is Ted, Teddy upshot. barely made it through school. He had at least one guy taking tests for him. Is that right? Oh, yeah, he got caught. I didn't know that. He, yeah, he got caught with some guy taking a, a Spanish test for him. You have to really be a retard if you can't pass a Spanish test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Teddy. Oh, okay, then he has goodness. to go to UVA Law School. And since in those days, that was generally, that was regarded, you know, it was sort of like going to, uh, you know, the Greater Slave Lake Community College. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not the most reputable uh, well, college it, it, in the know, world. I'm sure they have a wonderful community college at Greater Slave Lake, but it ain't Yale or Harvard. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. And since Joe could buy anybody anything, mm. you can imagine what a mouth breather Teddy had to be <laughs> <laughs> to have to go all the way down to Virginia. Okay. So, Fair and, enough. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he's got a huge staff. And he's used by his staff. He has been for years. They they run their hobby horses. He puts his name on it, and he gets his name in the papers. Mm. So Teddy wasn't up to really looking into anything. Okay. Plus, I mean, he probably he had, already he had, had the reason. He had enough trouble swimming back and forth across Chappaquiddick. Oh, man. Do people still believe that? believe what yeah that he swam back and forth and he slept he was exhausted he fell asleep and he well you know what you know? The one thing we've all learned in the last 50 years is that if you keep making stupid explanations long enough people lose interest mm. that's a good point too i guess okay yeah uh, and i think we're seeing the the genius of pr today is basically just to say you know like the the guy whose wife sees him driving down the street with a girl. Mm -hmm. you know, do you believe your lying eyes or do you believe your <laughs> loving husband? <laughs> and PR people are forever just simply going with their canned solution and telling it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And finally, people just lose interest. Yeah, I've heard there were problems with that, but I don't know who to believe. And what's the Super Bowl this year? Yeah, yeah, good point. Yeah. Um, one more question about the JFK assassination, mm -hmm. and then I'd like to jump on to uh, Che Guevara because we're halfway mm -hmm. through. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you're listening to CKLU 96.7 FM, www.cklu.ca. You can listen anywhere in the world. Uh, we're talking with Tom Lipscomb. Tom Lipscomb is an investigative reporter, a terrific, terrific guest tonight. He is so knowledgeable about politics uh he's opinionated which i absolutely love i love opinionated people disagree or agree i don't care i love people that stand and uh say how they feel um we're gonna uh, i'm gonna ask you one more question about the jfk assassination which is the zapruder film you've yep. come to believe that it has been doctored i yeah. should i should uh qualify my observations of this i don't i kind of believe with josiah thompson that if they had got a hold of it, instead of doctoring it, they would have destroyed it. But I want to hear your opinion. You may switch me over sides here. Well, I'm, 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 I'll tell you, I would, I would have agreed with Josiah Thompson, mm -hmm. except for my conversation. There, there, a, a major Secret Service guy mm -hmm. with uh, uh, Rush, who was a Rolling Stone reporter, said in an unguarded moment, he said, you know... 
at the at the Secret Service in the training, they show us the real Zapruder film. Oh. Uh huh. <laughs> you see, the Zapruder film doesn't match up, and with a very a couple of really fine researchers, I started to look at the thirty-four photographers in Dealey Plaza that day right. whose photographs are part of the of the of the whatever floor it is, sixth floor museum. museum. Yeah, Gary Mack. Mm -hmm. Gary Mack's wonderful museum. And if you look at all these various angles, you can see the same scene over and over again from different angles. Okay. And you start seeing anomalies. For example, from one of the photographer's mm -hmm. points of view, you can see Zapruder and his secretary, and she's towering over him like he's She's seven feet tall, and he's five foot four. In another case, they're the mm -hmm. same size. <laughs> yeah, so that doesn't make sense, does no. it? No. <laughs> then you take a look, and there's a, the, the gal who, Mormon, who's shooting the Polaroid picture mm -hmm. that's so famous. Mm -hmm. In the in pictures behind her, she's standing uh, in the straight. You can see the curb behind her ankles. Right. You look at the Bruder film, she's standing on the grass. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, I, I can take you through dozens of these, and I'm, I, I can't say that I'm categorically certain of it, but I've seen so many very intelligent alterations that keep us from seeing the critical events. Mm. Okay. Do you think some of those alterations prevent us from seeing the frontal shot? I think that's the main intention of it, was to keep from seeing the frontal shot. Okay, that I can buy into. Okay, the other mm -hmm. point is, but yet I've got pictures showing, mm -hmm. for example, uh, Beverly and Mormon and Beverly another Oliver. person, mm -hmm. when the frontal shot takes place, mm -hmm. you can watch them through the photographs move away from the grassy knoll. Oh. Okay. That I didn't know. You, you don't see that in the Zapruder film. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Now, the guy who picked up the Zapruder film that night, mm -hmm. who flew out from L.A., mm -hmm. is a friend of mine. Is that the Time Life fellow? Or? The Time Life guy. Yeah. He was the first publisher and or editor of uh, uh, People magazine. Mm -hmm. He's a really great guy. I forget his name. I, I can't remember his name to save my life right now. Yeah. But he was just superb. And he he's out at the L.A. Bureau Chief or something, and they tell him to get on a plane and get down there and right. pick it up. Mm -hmm. But you have to remember, Time Life and the CIA were wedded at the hip under Henry Luce. Ah, Henry Luce is the publisher of Time the Life. Pub he, was the yes. he was the first, he was the publisher... And Time Life was his company. He controlled it. He was chairman of the board. Uh-huh. And he was right into the CIA, was he? Well, the weird thing was, you've now got this Zapruder film. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you think it would be all, you'd, you'd be renting it out, you'd be selling it to newsreel rights and all the rest of this stuff to get your money back? They paid money for this thing. Yeah, they paid 50 grand for the right to print Which is their, a lot of money uh, in 1964, and then, and then another 125 for the right to actually show the film as okay, a film. Okay, and yeah. what did they do? I sat on it for how many years? Till the 70s? 
for it actually sat on it yeah. until it got blasted out by Geraldo Rivera on that show. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good Morning America. Now that's not the way to amortize your costs on a film, and what I mean by that is you want to get your bait back. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Time Life puts out a couple of shots. Two weeks later, in the next issue, they got to get on the Life magazine. Mm. Then they do a bigger issue, which does a pretty nice job, like three weeks after that, mm-hmm. and that's it. Until, uh, well, Garrison, in six, was it 68 Garrison's trial? Yeah. He was able to get a hold of it, but certainly yes, he was. didn't see it. It was just everybody. So here is this thing. Why is Time Life sitting on this thing? Mm. Makes no sense to me. I can't tell you I know why. I know exactly why. There's too much of that in this whole area. Yes, yeah, it's, it's wild. This, this, you really have yeah. to sit here and look at the linkage. You've got to push here and pull mm-hmm. there. And when it goes clank, clank, you know it's not tight. There's a lot about this story that just isn't tight. And it's partly because it's been altered with and played around with and screwed around with for so long that all we can say for sure is, number one is, there was definitely a conspiracy. Number two, it looks like the conspiracy was probably a mob hit from all the evidence we can see, but it might have had some, they might have brought some players in that might have worked with the mob and the spooks one way or another. Mm-hmm. Some pros okay, or something. Okay, but just, mm-hmm. just on a private contract basis. Mm-hmm. And finally, the government was well aware of this and decided to cover it up. Did not want the American people, you know, looking into this would rather have one guy as a nutcase, and he's dead. That takes care of that. Let's do a quick paste-up, a classic Texas (laughs) (laughs) cover-up run Mm -hmm. by LBJ, Mm. and and let's get on with our lives. Why cover it up if you're the government and it was a mafia hit? Well, you had a couple of problems. One is it opens up the Cuban situation. What if the American people, let's assume you've got 15 Mark What's-His-Names mm-hmm. running around, and they're all saying that Castro did it, or mm-hmm. the communists did it. Mm-hmm. We just lived through the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. That's right, two years pre- prior. That's right. This, yeah. this is no time to get the American people mad at the Soviet Union and Cuba. It's just too dicey. Who knew what would happen? Mm-hmm. You couldn't fix it, as Bobby Kennedy said. Mm-hmm. Jack's dead. You can't bring him back. Were they? Would they have been entirely wrong, assuming that it was possible to construct a circumstantial case that would be inflammatory to an American people who'd been who'd been ginned up a million times against Russia and the Soviet threat and the commies and all this stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you really want to get the American people all upset about this that way? And risk starting a third world war that would not And maybe the world. letting a third world. The, yeah. the political pressure. The Soviet, once that started, the Soviets get scared. And remember, at that point, the question is who's going to preempt whom? That's right. Yes, it was a big, big worry. I remember living through that. That's but, right. Yeah, right up until 91. So the big worry was gee, we better shoot first because it looks like they're going to shoot. Mm. So that's good reason to, to cover it up. Well, I think it's a good reason. I, I don't think yeah. government's always wrong. No, I agree with you. I you agree know, with you. Uh, yeah. at, let's put it this way. At least if I disagree with them, I can appreciate the kind of issues they were dealing with. Okay, that's fair enough, and I, I certainly uh, respect your perspective. Um, I think 
In my own opinion, I think there was some intelligence involved because I think uh, once you have the people going up in the grass, you know all the police officers and running into Secret Service agents. I don't know if the mob could pull that off. I think you'd have to have some sort of um, something deeper. Have you ever heard of the of the Saint uh, the Saint Valentine's sure. Day massacre? Absolutely. Uh, were there any people in police ah. uniforms involved in that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it when you're right. <laughs> also, remember, we've got so yeah. many weird things that may or may not have happened. The guy who talked to the railroad man who mm. wasn't by the railroad, he was actually, yeah. you know, in a barber shop with scissors. <laughs> I mean, it gets, it gets, when you get through the looking glass here, everything gets strange. Mm. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, Tom, would you like to talk about Monsieur Guevara? Of now? course. Do you want to take a break before we do, or are no, you good I'm to go? Fine. Okay, my friend, let's go. Che Guevara, we are talking with Tom Lipscomb, and Tom was instrumental in, well, he did, in fact, publish the private diaries of Che Guevara. And we're going to talk about Che right now. Um, just over an overview, what insights to the man did the... Uh, diaries reveal to you. Was there anything of a big surprise, or was now, it... the big surprise to me mm -hmm. was that up until the point I got my hands on these diaries, I was like everybody else. This was the great guerrilla leader, the great guerrilla theorist. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't wait to be. Oops, you still there? I am. That okay. may be a battery signal. You may want to try me on the other phone if it does it again. Okay, I, I will for sure. Okay. Yeah. But the point is, here is this. I just, I think he was like the ultimate gorilla. I mean, I bought the T-shirt and everything. <laughs> 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 so I read these diaries. Uh-huh. He's the biggest screw-up I ever saw in my life. Is that right? Oh, my Lord. I wouldn't send him out with a with a pea shooter to play paintball. <laughs> Can you give us some examples? Because everybody's sure. romanticized yeah, this guy. Absolutely. To begin with, he is going, his his theory, uh, it's kind of interesting how he got himself into Bolivia. Remember, Castro's Cuban. Mm -hmm. This is the Cuban Revolution. He's some Argentinian tourist, That's right? right? Yeah. And he's up there, and he's got he's painted as the great, you know, one of the demigods of the Cuban Revolution. Yeah, the Messiah. Yeah. But when he gets down to dividing things up, Castro likes Che. He gives him a couple of hot spots, head of Minister of Industries. Mm -hmm. Guevara's a disaster. Makes him head of the bank. He's a disaster at that. Mm -hmm. The only thing Guevara's any good at is killing people. That's what it seems. <laughs> yeah, he ran La Cabana prison, killed hundreds of them. He even created Innocent. a special little room so he could look out while they're being shot. Apparently, kids, too, he, he killed. Yeah, he, yeah, he actually shot a 12-year-old boy himself. Oh, my God. So, we, we, so we've got this guy who is certainly not going to help Cuba or anybody else while in power as a political officer, so far as anyone can see. And now Castro's got himself a problem, because Guevara, because he's got nothing to do and he's no good at the job he's being assigned in Cuba, decides to go with the Fritz Fanon School, or I guess we can call it the Trotsky School of Communist Revolution. Mm -hmm. There was a big debate in Russia between uh, Trotsky and Lenin. That's right, there was, yeah. And Lenin's attitude basically was, we got enough problems getting these peasants and workers together to make Russia work, 
And Trotsky would say, yeah, but without a world revolution, the Soviet Union won't survive. And Lenin said, before I can even think about that, I've got to have a working country here, a working economy, and we have to control these eight, nine time zones in this huge company country we've got. And that was where the shootout happened between Trotsky and Lenin. Well, it happened again in the 1960s between those who argued that uh, you had to have two, three, many more, remember the expression? Mm-hmm. Revolutions. Um, and that was Guevara's statement. And that was also Ho Chi Minh agreed with that. That's Many people right. were trying to mm-hmm. spread the people's revolution to all the third world countries. So Guevara decided, okay, I can't make it here in Cuba. So he goes off to the Congo, goes off to Africa, nearly mm-hmm. gets himself killed down mm-hmm. there. But we assume that, you know, when he comes back, he says to Castro, he says, look, I want to go down to South America. That's where I'm from. I understand it. And Guevara says, okay, we'll support you. And that's when Guevara picks Bolivia. A bastion. (laughs) Well, Bolivia, you know how in Canada you talk about the Newfies? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm a quarter Newfie. Watch it. (laughs) Well, uh, well, that must be the... uh, Oh, there's the battery. uh, all right, the Newfie part, we'll, we'll, but Bolivia is uh-huh. three-quarters Newfies. <laughs> it's not the place where sophisticated discussions of what true communism is between those who are devoted to a revolution to help the workers and people can even get started. Well, not only that, but he arrived in Bolivia with only 24 people, 24 That's guys. That's right. And, but the uh, other point is, who were, who were the Bolivians that he arrived in the midst of? Peasants. You know, they were peasants, and every time they saw them... They weren't just peasants. They were four-foot-nine-high Indians. Oh, that's true, too. Yes, 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 yes. And they referred to the Cubans, who are all white, as barbudos, the bearded ones. The bearded ones. Indians don't have beards. That's true, too. So you have these six-foot-tall, corpse-colored, bearded people running around, throwing their weight around... And they also don't speak the Indian languages. That's right. They don't speak Keisha. Huh. So you might as well have dropped, you know, Klaatu <laughs> or Martians in the middle of Newfoundland. <laughs> did, and, the, did the diaries, Tom, reveal anything about Castro that surprised you? Yes, it did. Uh, because I was at, when I finally got my hands on the diaries, which uh-huh. was a whole long story i'll spare you unless you want to hear it oh i'd like to hear it uh, after absolutely uh, the, the upshot was i got the diaries and i was up against perry match and the london times and time life and all these big companies and i worked for this tiny little mm-hmm. publishing company what year was this tom so 68 68 okay um, they killed guevara in i think it was november of 67 Yes, it was actually. Yeah, yeah, it was sixty-seven. I remember that because yeah, it was and, and it, all these yeah. pictures of Guevara in the laundry, mm. full of bullet holes. Mm. I mean, you see, those those little Indians were really terrific at everything except shooting. <laughs> <laughs> Guevara looked like Swiss cheese after they were finished executing. Yeah, I think there was nine shots or something in two. More than that. Yeah. So I, I, uh, so I, I get sent down there. And I'm, I'm, this is an air that's 13,000 feet in the sky. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you believe that? It's the highest airport in the world. 
Jeez. And you come off, and, and it, by the time you walk to the to the shed, you're exhausted. You better try me on the other phone. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you a call right back. Okay, take okay. a break. Come back. Right on, my friend. Sure do. Bye now. We're talking with Tom Lipscomb, and his phone just died, so I will call him on the alternate emergency backup. We're like NASA here, folks, at CKLU. We have a backup phone number, which I shall try right now. Stick with me. Da-da-da, there's some music. How do you like that, folks? Oops. I forgot to dial nine, folks. And it is one. And the phone should be ringing any second. And there it is. Hi, Tom. So there we are. Here we're back. <laughs> I love it. High tech, eh? We're speaking with Tom Lipscomb, and uh, he's a publisher of Che Guevara's Private Diaries from Bolivia. And we were just talking about Che right now and how the Indians were bad shots that shot him. <laughs> well, they, were, they, they weren't as bad shots as his people were. Uh, so anyway, Guevara shows up into a remote area of Bolivia, and his job, first of all, is to meet with the head of the Communist Party in Bolivia. Wouldn't you think that'd be a good idea? After all, he's a communist revolutionary. I would think, yep. And the head of the Communist Party in Bolivia basically says, we don't need you. <laughs> We've got our own stuff, you know. <laughs> You're supposed to support me. And he says, we didn't say anything about supporting you. You're on your own. Now, you would think if, when you're one of the top guerrilla revolutionaries in the world, you would have kind of worked a few of these things out in advance before showing up. What a funny fellow, eh? To do that? Just show up in Bolivia? Uh, well, it's it's sheer arrogance. Like, I'm the movie star. Uh, hold everything until I get here. That's a so, good point, so Ego. Number one, the, 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 the urban communists, because there sure weren't any, any peasant communists, Matter of fact, there seldom are peasant communists. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, they're they're not behind him. Not only that, but there's also his support is strange. Uh, the Russians have got an East German operative. They've infiltrated into his group. Oh, that's this right, Tanya. Tanya, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And she's yeah. and and she and and uh, Guevara. Uh, if, if we were to believe the rumors that came out are, are having a thing, okay? Mm. But she's a spy for the Russians. <laughs> Crazy. So, A, he's got the guys in, up in La Paz against him. Mm -hmm. B, he's got the Russians already infiltrating him. Uh, Castro can't do much to help him because he stuck himself out in the back of the yard. What are they supposed to do, airdrop stuff to him? It's impossible. So the minute he leaves his base, which he does by accident, it isn't even a campaign where he prepositions stuff the way you would when you climb a mountain. 
his base is wiped out, and he's on the loose, and he's now got to do the dumbest thing in the world that you never do as a guerrilla, which is basically live off the locals against their will. Yeah, they were turning him in every time they saw him, reporting him into the army. He's a little Indian. Of course, the army is also five feet tall and beardless. <laughs> They're all Indian. Yeah. So, you know, Jose tells Carlos, you know, I saw this eight-foot-tall, corpse-like being, you know, smoking stars. <laughs> Jeez, I wonder who and that was, yeah. Every step they take, they're being traced by the army. Mm. So this huge expedition to create a revolution in a part of Bolivia in which a revolution is least likely, it wasn't like there were huge mines or industry or oil fields there. These are just peasants. And he was trying to export the revolution, as they say, and he wanted that. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to export. They're trying to try. They're they're not even able to get local. The locals don't join them. From what I understood, there was already democracy in place, and people were pretty much happy in Bolivia. They wanted no part of a revolution. The people in Bolivia are so happy, Brent, that they have a revolution every year on average. <laughs> I mean, it's like the Super Bowl. Every year you could go down to the presidential palace and watch the 50 caliber rounds bounce off as the new oh, regime geez. overthrows the old regime. Uh, meet the new boss, the same as the old boss. Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, uh, now, the, the president at the time whom I knew, a guy named Rene Barrientos, mm -hmm. was a real movie star-looking guy. Okay, He was a neat, deep guy. He would fly around in his helicopter. As a matter of fact, his, the political opposition blew up his helicopter and him. <laughs> real stable country, is it? Oh, it's real stable. But uh -huh. they literally have had, on average, one revolution a year since 1840 or something oh, like that. Oh, jeez, I didn't know it was that unstable. So, okay. so if Guevara couldn't create a revolution in Bolivia, <laughs> uh -huh. how good could he be? Everybody else created revolutions. Hmm. What about his diaries was revealed about Castro, Mr. Fidel? What about what? What was revealed about Castro, Fidel Castro, in his well, diaries? Well, what happened finally, okay, Guevara gets gets captured. Mm -hmm. His group gets wiped out. Completely. Several, this all happened over about nine months. This is not a long-term operation, okay? Mm -hmm. It fails fast. Well, 24 Guevara guys, gets captured. Yeah. yeah, he gets captured. Uh, and so do all these diaries, not just Che Guevara's, but several of the other Cubans have diaries as well. Oh, okay. Matter of fact, some of them, like Pombo's, Pombo's diary is more interesting than Che's diary. Ah, and that's okay. all in the book, is it? It's all in the book. Okay. Uh, and so if you look, you want to see a badly run guerrilla operation as a sort of how not to do it, hmm. read this book. Because these other Cubans were pretty good. And they tell the mistakes they're making and so forth. But in, in, in what happened was the the general staff of the Bolivian military. Mm -hmm. Now Bolivia is a landlocked company country. Okay, it's got no export, exit to the sea. Big problem. But the guy in charge of, of the general staff in Bolivia was an admiral. <laughs> oh my God. How do they have a navy? <laughs> well, they used to have. They used to be on the Pacific Ocean, but then there was the Battle of the Pacific between Chile 
And uh, guess who lost? Oh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah. uh, Austria, Austria used to have a 82, remember, in The Sound of Music? The oh, yeah. Captain That's right, yeah. Was the captain of the Austro-Hungarian Navy. Of course, they had no seaports in Austria. In Austria. <laughs> oh, man. The so, at any rate, Admiral Ovando and I had long talks, and I kept trying to negotiate to get these diaries. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, the Minister of the Interior, this is like the head of the secret police and everything in the country, mm -hmm. he escapes, and he takes a copy of the diaries with him, and he gives it to Castro. Oh, which was one of the weirder things in recent literary history, that the head of police of a country would take the crown jewel of the country that belonged really was in the Guevara materials and give it to Castro. At which point, the general staff of Bolivia said, here, you can have them. And they gave me my copy. Were they trying to beat him to the punch for publication? Well, they wanted to get something out of it. I they, guess. So yeah. far, they they killed Guevara. They had mm -hmm. these diaries. They'd been sitting on them, trying to get a big price out of it. And now they were worthless because Castro announced he was going to start publishing them seg as, as a serial in Grandma, hmm. which is the newspaper in Havana. Okay. Okay. So I figured, <laughs> boy, I bring these things home, and it's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of... I'm, depressed and upset. You know, what am I supposed to do with this? And I said, well, hell, I'll translate them. So I got them translated. Mm -hmm. And I started going through them. And then Grandma started coming out day, every day in Grandma, another another selection of our hero, the Blessed Saint Che. Okay? Tom, I should ask you, did you get Ted Kennedy to translate them to Spanish? <laughs> no, but I... <laughs> I tried to find the guy who did that for us. <laughs> <laughs> However, I couldn't afford him. He had to get Kennedy to pay him. Jeez. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I digress. So I had, so I had help. Uh -huh. We got it translated, and I began to see something interesting. Castro left out the dirty parts. Ah, he censored them. Huh. He censored them. The stuff that Guevara was saying, that son of a bitch Fidel, after all I've done for him, and he lets me sit down here like a rotten and coconut. Okay, huh. and let, I'm hanging my thumbs. It's only a matter of time. They're gonna. He's got to get me supplies. He's got to do. One of the things. Guess what? The great gorilla had not taken enough with him. Mm -hmm. Asthma medicine. I didn't even know he had asthma. He had very bad asthma. Oh. He was also overweight and smoking 26 cigars a day. Yeah, I know that he had a big uh, smoking cigar thing. Yeah, this is this, uh, this is not exactly healthy gorilla no activity. I mean, this is a guy who went into a gorilla war who couldn't touch his toes. <laughs> and he's a young man, too. Isn't he around 30, 30 years? Yeah, he's, he's yeah. a comparatively young man. Yeah. Huh. So, so, anyway, there's all this. So I said, oh, goody. <laughs> Because in the United States, Ramparts Magazine, which was very far left, okay, mm -hmm. was also publishing in English what Castro was publishing on a daily basis in Grandma in Spanish. Oh, interesting. So I put my team together. We crashed it. We got that book out in like three weeks. 
Was it a bestseller? I bet it we was. Have, oh, you, yeah. It wasn't a big bestseller, but it, it the news. We, I wanted to make a lot of news out of it because uh, the whole. Uh, t- I was mad that my great hero, the guerrilla genius Che Guevara, turned out to be such a klutz <laughs> and a murderer. Mm. Yeah, and a murderer, and nothing. I mean, this the motorcycle diaries just hilariously funny to me when I watch them. I haven't seen the movie. How do you feel about the movie when you see it? Funny? Look, art is art. Okay, you can make... I mean, if someone wanted to do a story about young Adolf Hitler and how he was so poor that he had to eat in soup kitchens in Vienna and he was painting postcards and trying to go to the Art Institute, Uh I'm sure we'd both be weeping watching this film if it was done well by artists. (laughs) Brad Pitt playing young Adolf. Oh, God, yeah. In reverse... (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I mean, yeah, what, good artists can do good work, okay? So, yeah, young Guevara careening through the countryside on his BMW motorbike, watching the peasants starving to death and weeping tears. Sure. I mean, how can, how can you lose, right? Yeah, yeah, good point. So, so what, what must, there's a reason there's dramatic art, and mm-hmm. there's a reason there's history, and we should not confuse the two, although we do all the time. That's we a just good did point. so by electing Barack Obama. <laughs> well, we're going to come back no to... No one knows anything about... <laughs> we're going to come back to that. <laughs> How do you really feel about Barack Obama? <laughs> I, 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 I think it's hilariously funny. <laughs> He's your president. <laughs> he is indeed. He is my president. Yeah. I take I'm it... going to enjoy knowing more about him than anybody in another couple of years, and they're not going to have fun while I do it. But going back to Mr. Senior Guevara, yeah. you have to say that the fun part got to be when suddenly the Castro people and the commies and the lefties in the United States started having a cow because of what I was publishing from Guevara, <laughs> criticizing Castro. Were you ever threatened? <sighs> yeah, sure. Really, eh? They were that upset from the oh, truth. Yeah. So the truth oh, yeah. is really threatening well, to some no, people. Well, there was the truth in my version. Did I know that my version was absolutely the complete diaries, etc.? No. Yeah. <laughs> Did I, could I could I really go to bed night thinking that maybe the Bolivians, uh, I could prove the Bolivians hadn't cut twenty pages that I'd really like to have read out of it? No. Mm-hmm. But I did make that all clear. I didn't lie to anybody about it. I said, I can't prove that stuff was missing from my own edition. <clears throat> but here's the chain of evidence. Here's what I got. And here's right. what we went with. No, that sounds reasonable to me. Can well, you... What was really fun was sure. I got the top codebreaker. David Kahn is a really, he wrote a book called The Codebreakers in the States. And I got mm-hmm. him to translate Anya's uh, coded messages. Mm-hmm because it was very primitive East German code, and he did, he translated what she'd been sitting back with her radio to the Soviet. Oh, man. <laughs> Can you believe the whole thing? Oh, it, what a, a mess. Is, oh, a real screw-up. Oh. Was he cognizant of all the rumors that Castro wanted him dead? There was a huge rumor. I don't know if it was factual or if it was just a rumor. Uh, Castro didn't want him dead. Castro, Castro was delighted to have him gone. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like your brother-in-law, you know, <laughs> who comes home and gets drunk and throws up on the cat. I mean, you, 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 nothing good comes from having him around. Mm. 
because he wants to get in bed with China. He's attractive. Look, if you're a Jefe Maximo, that's what Castro is called in Cuba. That's the the Mm -hmm. name cheat. You really, you don't, you want to be Butch Cassidy, you don't want the Sundance kid around. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, as as some people thought that that Raul Castro had made a joke that uh, we don't need Guevara around, but he makes a very useful martyr. <laughs> I mean, for billboards, is is that cool or what? Yeah, and t-shirts. Imagine having a, an overweight uh, Guevara blundering around, mm-hmm. wheezing with his asthma and unable to do squat. You know, it uh, kind of wrecks it wrecks the whole story. A couple of years ago, uh, we went down to Cuba at, um, and his his face is virtually everywhere. Virtually oh, yeah. everywhere, and uh, sure. it's unbelievable. It, it's a uh, it's a huge money maker for them. Not only their shirts, but bus and carvings, and holy cow, the tourist industry based around well, Che. It's Saint Che. It and, sure is. Uh, well, but it just it, but when you look at the reality of this this amazing screwball, it's 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 funny. I mean, I now I laugh at it. But I was very mad when I first got this stuff and started to read <laughs> this thing. I taught in the Army, once again, I taught something called counterinsurgency. Oh, did you? Yep. How I do you deal with that. these guys from the other side? Yeah. And uh, when I read Castro, when I read uh, Guevara's diaries, it was like, it was like my dream insurgent. Mm-hmm. Even I could have caught him. <laughs> he did everything wrong. If, if remember, Mao used to say that a, the a gorilla must be like the fish in water, and the people are the water. Ah, I've never okay. heard that before. Well, Mao Zedong was a brilliant gorilla theorist. So here is, mm-hmm. is the fish Guevara, and he's mad at the water. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody against him, from the Communist Party in, in La Paz to the peasants, and the army closing in. Do you think he was meant? Got no supplies. He's got no asthma medicine. He's got nothing. Do you think he became mentally ill at the end and delusional? No, he was delusional at the beginning. God. <laughs> 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 and when people ask you uh, how could you write such stuff about Shea, what's your response to them? What I, the only thing I've ever written myself about Shea, besides the introduction of the book uh-huh. and stuff, which are just factual, was a piece I did for the New York Times when they found his body was, had been buried in an airstrip. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only a few uh, and, years ago. Uh, yeah, and I, oh my God, the commies came out of the woodwork screaming and yelling for my head. Oh, um, man. When, when I wrote that piece, uh, because I basically said in the piece that he was... Uh, you know, a total screw-up. And uh, the interviews that he'd had with uh, an American Special Forces officer and other things, I put all that in the Times. And I would, But I, it wasn't my opinion. Mm-hmm. That was reporting. That was reporting. It's a when big I difference. When I report, yeah. my opinion is not... You don't get my opinion. You have to be... My opinion goes in. I write both news and I write commentary. When I write mm-hmm. commentary, then I get paid for giving my opinion. In news, I supposedly get paid for trying to tell people what the evidence is 
for X, Y, or Z. I'm going to get off track for a second. Okay. We have a lot of young students listening uh, of college age, of university age. What would you tell them, those that want to be journalists, those that want to be writers, what would you, what words of recommendation would you have for them? Set up a blog. Good answer. Okay. Good Set up answer. a blog. It makes you write. You, you, a blog has to be fresh. It should be refreshed like two, three times a day. Uh-huh. Put your thinking out there. Write what you think about whatever's important to you. See if you start getting an audience. Make it more clear. Make it more interesting. Is research important? Well, being accurate is important. Okay. And the web has to be the best research source ever in history. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like a huge uh, database. I think all the training, it, never before have individuals been so empowered by being in touch with all the major news streams, all the library research resources, mm. mm-hmm. and firsthand information from experts, all right in the web. It's incredible, What isn't we're it? missing is people who can pull it together, people who can respond to the news quickly and accurately and give us a take on it that's useful. Mm-hmm. Was Obama's inaugural speech yesterday boring, trite, brilliant oratory? What was it? A student can tell you his opinion. Mm-hmm. She, he or she can justify that opinion. And, if it's, and he or she can be brilliantly funny or interesting or, or beautifully written in their critique. Mm-hmm. That's all great training. You don't have to be hired by a local newspaper to get that training because you can now put it all up on the web yourself. That's a very good point. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a composer. I compose music for television sure. and film. And folks always ask me, young kids ask me. I shouldn't call you kids. Sorry, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Younger people ask me, well, how do you get started? And I got started at university. I just went up to the film department and said, let me compose some music for you. And I sure. just started like that. You know, you, you like you said, you go for the opportunity. Your attitude is very important. I should qualify this. Every time I write music, in my mind, it's for Steven Spielberg. If you're listening, Steven, I'll give you my phone number. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's a, I, I really think that, that you know, talent, talented people, have to be have sharp elbows and be undeniable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know we, we we kind of want people we all would like to be tapped on the nose and said oh i want you to go to work for me doing x or y but that's not how good people get going no you really do have to pay your dues yeah you really do and yep. the nice but usually you used to have to get experience after you got hired by a newspaper or somebody. And that's but changed. With blogs, you could be up and people reading your stuff at very low cost and getting your training, your apprenticeship all done in public. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If you're any good, sooner or later, somebody's going to come to you. Do you have a blog yourself? No. Okay. Do you have a website? Nope. Okay, then. I do. Uh, if you look me up on Google, uh-huh. you'll see close to a million entries. Wow. That's my website. There you go. That's a great answer. Yeah, and, and some of the stuff is even true. 
<laughs> what got you started? What, what made you want to be a writer? What was your inspiration, your initial inspiration? Uh, I guess, look, as a musician, mm -hmm. did you keep getting ticked off that things weren't done right? Yes, still do. It makes me okay. crazy when I hear a soundtrack that sucks right. and I know I can and do better. So, and so, but, but you heard some things that were really done beautifully. Mm -hmm. John Williams. So aren't we kind of between what we don't like and what we like and what we think we can do better? And doesn't that make us work? Absolutely. And I think that's what gets you started. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't care, if you're just passing through like Mr. Natural, <laughs> <laughs> then you're just a consumer. But creators want to say, yeah, I really like that, but I would have done it this way. Yes, yes, And you yes, kind of start yes. out by copying and, and you know, adding something to the refrain or, 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 you know, you know, most of us begin by basically saying, that was so terrific. And then we think about it, say, but I could have done that better. That's a very and good then point. We, yep. Then we actually try and do it better. Mm -hmm. Then we see how hard it was to get as much right as they got right. <laughs> and you go, you go tinkering around. I think creativity is a lot like a minefield. Um, you know, you rattle around in there, and you're more likely to have your talent blown up than you are to make it through. What an analogy. I've never heard that one before. <laughs> Can I quote you on that? Sure. But I, I think... Don't you think, basically, that it takes it takes either courage or density to make you go forward against all the genius there is in the world? It either takes one something. Will do. It takes something. I, it's just believing, I think, uh, in yourself and uh, finding your own voice. Well, I take music as you were just talking about. I mm -hmm. I was a, a classical musician. My first training. And by hmm. a couple of years on, I then I actually managed rock groups to go through graduate school. Is that right? Huh. Yeah. Uh, and I got to learn what it's like to have to get uh, rock musicians out of bed <laughs> at three in the afternoon, you know, so you can get them on a school bus. <laughs> I can relate. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to do that, you have to know who's sleeping with whom and what might have happened last night at four in the morning when you finally fell asleep yourself, <laughs> so that. The, your your acoustic guitar is now in bed with the lead singer for another group. Now, this doesn't sound very creative, I know, but... I think it is. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the essence of, of any kind of creativity is this extraordinary desire to create. Yes. And this amazing need to be heard. Yes. And I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world. I, I remember I started as a publisher. I was editing other people's books and helping other people find audiences for their thought. Did you find that frustrating? Especially when you knew you could do better? I've read your stuff. But I, could, I didn't think I could do better. never occurred to me to try and do better. You're kidding. I only learned that I could do better when I started having to write stuff for other people who huh. couldn't get the introduction written. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Uh huh. I'd have a, a I'd have a, a, I mean, stuff that I've written have been part of books that have won Pulitzer prizes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And the, but the it wasn't my idea to do the book. 
the way it was done wasn't my idea, although I encouraged mm-hmm. the author because it was his editor. Were you but not nominated? What's that? I was going to were you not nominated for a Pulitzer Prize? Well, I was nominated by my newspaper for a Pulitzer Prize for reporting I did uh, in the uh, 2004 election. Oh, yes, that was it. It was on John Kerry, wasn't it? It was on John Kerry, yeah. Yeah. Muzzle tough, my friend, muzzle tough. That's fantastic. Yep, it was, it was definitely fan- His records were definitely fantastic. That's what got me nominated. <laughs> <laughs> but you see, as, as the press... Mm-hmm. Is, is is starved to death here as circulation disappears, as advertising revenues disappear, and newspapers die all over, mm. not just the United States. That's um, global. Then, then we're seeing a situation, once again, you've got a bog. We're going to end up in a situation where individual brand names or bylines, whether it's Mark Stein, okay, Mm-hmm. Or it is uh, Roger Cohen at the Washington Post. Mm-hmm. Those bylines will end up being worth more than the newspapers themselves. Wow! So, so what a blogger so... does today is That's he anticipates the future. If you can establish a brand name mm-hmm. that's Roy McKinnon of Sudbury, Ontario, we don't care anymore. You don't have to be in New York or or Toronto. No, you're right. I can okay. be in Sudbury and do what I do. You can indeed. Mm-hmm. You can be in Sudbury. You can be in French River. You know, mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. you can be wherever. Calerni. Because we don't care anymore. You're all part of the blogosphere. That's right. That's the only country we're all part of. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Well, it's a whole new world for writers, and I think it's a very good one. The only problem is that there's another part that we learn in publishing that a blogger has to learn, and that is the old thing back in the 17th century question, if a fruit falls in the forest and no one hears, did it fall? Hmm. <laughs> okay. Yes. So publicity, you have to not only do good work, but you have to get attention for it. Now, up until recently, writers and artists said, well, that's your problem. I do my brilliant work, hmm. and then I go to sleep. I wish. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, mm-hmm. But the reality is, and I let my publisher worry about that. Well, you're a musician. Mm-hmm. Did you, years ago, let your publisher worry about it? Jamais, never. No, it was always Good. me doing everything. No, you were work. smart. Yeah. Or else you were too poor to afford. To, you didn't ever have enough money to let your publisher do it. But years and years ago... Mm-hmm. At a ski resort, I ran into a way-faced little girl with a voice like an angel and lank hair out in Western Canada. Her name was Joni Mitchell. Oh, my goodness. And she's playing oh. in a bar. In a bar. And I said, Jill, I, where do you get these songs? These are really good. She said, I write them. Nonchalantly, said, yeah. Yeah. I mean, huh. it's, it, you know, it's art is going to is going to happen yes it is yeah i think it's the better part of our nature sometimes i think i think it's the it's the only part that lasts the yeah rest of this is fish food yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
No, that's a very good point. Do you think the <laughs> ultimate goal, once you you start your blog, you get a reputation going, you start building a yep. brand new, is the ultimate goal for a writer still to be published in book form, in hard hardcover? Uh, not hardcover, I'm sorry, hard copy. Well, it's evolving, I think so, because mm -hmm. it's very hard to appreciate art without context. And the trouble with a blog, uh -huh. you think yeah. about it. Uh -huh. In the year 200 B.C., the last major media change took place. Mm -hmm. It was called the Codex. Now, that's mm. not what it sounds like. The Codex was a format in which each side of a leaf was bound into a casing. And so you could see it was like a book. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, it was a scroll. Now, if you ever take a scroll to the beach and try and find the dirty part, it's really hard to do. <laughs> but with a book, you can bend down a page. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So the format of a book, a codex, is far more sophisticated than a computer, which is a scroll. We have finding structures in computers like Google or like mm -hmm. Find, etc. And you know, because so we can find the dirty parts. <laughs> <laughs> and you really need to think about media matter, okay? Media matter, mm -hmm. whether it's a poem or a short story or a novel or an article or a history or propaganda. What medium you're using matters, and whether you're using the standard American songbook, um, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, you know, whether you you know the various forms for for a popular song, mm -hmm. okay, um, and you know what makes the blues the blues, mm -hmm. and but writers also have to know what medium have they chosen and what audience are they going to. Exactly, you have to target your audience. You've got to target your audience, mm -hmm. and you have to understand what your media choices are. Mm -hmm. Every creative artist, whether a writer, a songwriter, or, or a, a, a graphic artist, is not that different from Tiger Woods looking at a whole golf club infested bag. Which one do you choose for which shot? For which job, yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, you know, about books because... You know, I, well, I'll be honest, I do my best reading in the John, and there's no way I'm going to bring my laptop in the John. Many of us do. Yeah. And many of us do. Much uh, to the chagrin of my honey. <laughs> well, still in there. that keeps you in there. Well, also, it, it, you'll also find that your proctologist will appreciate <laughs> it because he'll get extra business if you spend more time in the John. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a crappy subject we've come upon. <laughs> Well, after all, you're in the home of the the great CN in uh, what was it CNBC program at the Crapulation contest. <laughs> oh man, we're going to have to start wrapping up in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> you got to come up, my friend. You got to come up. We got to get together. Well, I, I I was thinking of Sea Alcinor, which is one of my favorite exhibitions. And that, that, that with Laurentian and that wonderful world you're in out there, it's, it's kind of magical. It sure but, is. Sudbury, Sudbury, which used to be this kind of hell up there with the wasted 
So Nickel infested. I mean, for hundreds of miles to the east of you, all the way to Dead Lakes in Finland, mm-hmm. the Sudbury Big Nickel was killing the world. And now you've got a station that is spreading enlightenment and a new way of looking at things and streaming it on the Internet. What a kind man you are. You know, originally I hail from Montreal. I've only been here. Yep. 15 months, 6 days, and 4 hours and 3 minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but is that really by is... your wife's count or yours? <laughs> but it truly is a wee bit of heaven here. It really is. It's like this little secret now. I don't want anybody to know or it's going to ruin it. Well, it's I'm sitting really down beautiful. here on Long Island. Do you know what Long Island is? It's, it's, it's an island that's long. No. Fire it's away. the part of Sudbury that went south. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll come down last, and visit you. Well, the last Pleistocene glacier, which came right across you, uh-huh. swept anything that wasn't nailed down and dropped it in the Atlantic Ocean and created Long Island. There you go. This is the front of the bulldozer blades. Listen, uh, I'm going to come down and visit you on one condition. Yep. Do you have a Dairy Queen? No. Well, I'll bring the ice cream. How's you that? Can get some, you can get some dry ice at Canadian Tire and, <laughs> and put, it, put, it, put it in a freezer and bring the Dairy Queen with you. <laughs> that sounds like a great plan. Um, is there anything left? No, I, 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 published, I published Bob uh-huh. Yor's book. Oh, did you? Yeah. Well, let's fire into this know one. Where he's from Perry Sound. That's right, yeah. yeah. And his brother owns the best butcher shop in Paris. Is that right, eh? Which I think is kind of appropriate. You think of the high sticking and slashing that went on to bust and ruin. <laughs> Could be some noses and ears mixed in. Well, at least, at least I'm an adopted Canadian, and I, I, I just love where you are, and I, I think that Canada is a wonderful uh, way of making everyone in North America kind of refocus on what issues are and what matters and what doesn't matter. And you don't have the huge financial overhead that our American media have that prevent them from going far and wide on the subjects they want to consider. Mm, perhaps you're right. You know, it's often said about Canada that we're a solution looking for a problem. And ah. you know, the way I feel right now in Sudbury, I think they're absolutely right. I think they really are. Uh, yeah, we have some language issues, but by and large, there's no bombs going off in general. You know, uh, we really have a wonder. And the Americans, too, you know, the U.S. is... There are only no bombs going off. Oh. Your, your army doesn't even have enough ammunition to train. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess I with to, us. I to, you know, you've got a place on the way up the Imperial Highway to Sudbury. That's a testing place for the army. I deliver the bugle ones. <laughs> You know, if we really get pissed off, we get our hockey sticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's been a pleasure. Well, actually, we still got about another uh, seven or eight minutes to go. Well, there... I, I, hope, I hope we've been on the subject enough for you. I, oh, I yeah. I had such a good time Me talking too. to my friends up there. This is just wonderful. Um, absolutely. Have you had any good northern lights? I haven't seen any yet this year. You're I'm, kidding. No, I haven't seen any. It's been overcast quite a bit so far. And, well, summer's uh, the best. I, su- I suspect, yeah. I'm I really... used to sit out on the island in the summer, down in Killarney. 
and just in watch the summertime, it. and you could sit there and simultaneously watch um, satellites drift across the sky mm -hmm. through the northern lights. That I've seen. And also meteor showers all at the same time. Mm -hmm. It's pretty I spectacular, mean, Sky. It, it's really spectacular. Just spectacular. When was uh, the last time you were up here? Oh, two years ago. Oh, that, that, okay, that's not far away at all. No, I went up to Killarney Mountains again. So you're due to get back here, my friend. Oh, I, well, I, I expect the, the Laurentian College should invite me up to lecture on bloggers, blogging, because after all, remember, I'm an academic. I am a senior fellow at the Edinburgh Center for the Digital Future at the University of Southern California. You know what, I may take you up on that. I'm going to uh, talk to Deborah Frankel. And uh, okay. you know, you should talk to her because she was She's down. She's a great lady. I think I did talk to her. I think I called looking for you. Uh, but see, I think I think that basically we're in a world now mm -hmm. where the empowerment down to the individual is so total that institutions, New York Times, may very well go under by the end of the year. You think so, eh? Yep. But old Robbie McKinnon that uh -huh. we invented uh -huh. going to going to Laurentian mm -hmm. may be the Mark Stein of the tomorrow. That's a possibility. Why not? Well, you know, that's, that's the thing that's interesting. Because, for example, when I do, when I do pieces that go on the web, mm -hmm. there's something called Mimeo Random. Have you ever noticed Mimeo Random? No, what is that? If you go to MimeoRandom.com, you can see what the biggest stories on the Internet are on a given day. Oh, Okay, there may I didn't be 20 know of them. And you'll be surprised to find that one may be from the Drudge Report, one mm -hmm. from the New York Times, one from the Chicago Tribune. But you'll see what the play actually is with these billions of websites. Because the crawler at Mimeo Random, and one of them may very well be Robbie McKinnon of Laurentian University. Once you create a brand that interests people, it's, it's got a life of its own. It just goes and goes and goes. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Indeed, it does. Um, yeah, I was going to say, Debbie, uh, Deborah Frankel, um, she was down with the FMLN in the 80s in, uh, in um, uh, El Salvador. They were really? Yeah. I, I was shocked, too. We were talking one afternoon, and she started telling me, <laughs> you got to speak with her. She's phenomenal. Phenomenal. I think she should write a book. And uh, oh. <laughs> here I am talking well, to a publisher. I'm glad she didn't go down to Peru, or she would have been put in prison. Mm. Good point. Um, <laughs> I guess we're going to wrap up now. It's uh, twenty-three fifty-seven, also known as eleven fifty-seven. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show. You got to come back, my friend. You know, you really I do. Enjoy, I enjoyed it, and I think you're. As I say, I think everyone should listen. I hope they put those those uh, JFK assassination pieces up for you so that people can listen to this extraordinary collection of interviews you've done. I've heard four of them, I guess, so far. Thank you very uh, much. And uh, your questioning is so good uh, that you get the best out of these people. They, they're, all, they're all like callous cowboys. They've been, they've been to the rodeo before. Uh, but I think you bring new and special insights for them, and I think they enjoy it. It's fun watching their their they they give the stock answers. They push you press them farther, Brent, and and it gets really interesting. You know, I love this show. I um, I'm new to broadcasting. I only started this show in July, 
and uh, Deborah and Carrie are the station manager and production assistant, respectively, and they have been so supportive, especially of the JFK assassination series we had on in November. And as you say, the guests were just phenomenal, right down to the to the wire, as you were tonight. What a great time I've had. I love this show. You know, I get to meet incredible people like yourself that have been involved with living history, like Abraham Bolden was on this afternoon, uh, the first African-American Secret Service agent. Yeah, what a guy he is, sure. Oh, man, you know, and, and now I meet you, and uh, Branch Rickey, and you, you've come up to Sudbury, and oh, my goodness, you know, Che Guevara. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Well, that's, 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 the, the thing you learn in the, in the news business is how little you know and how little anybody else knew and you began to ask the questions all over afresh yourself and that's what you're doing brent and i think that's what makes the show so good look into some other mysteries this is just one of the mysteries Absolutely. of the 20th century that haven't been solved that's right i agree with you and that's what this show is all about it's about examining the possibilities that are out there and looking at things from a different angle a different perspective and that's You're what doing fine, do. and thank you for inviting me. Thank you, sir, and I shall be in touch. Maybe we can get you up here to do a lecture. I, for one, would love it. Okay. Okay, Take all care. the best to you. And you. Take care. Goodbye. Bye now. Wow, wasn't that fun? What a ride. I told you we'd have a great ride tonight. That was Tom Lipscomb. This man is, um, well, he's an investigative uh, reporter, as you know. He writes books. He publishes books. He's published the personal diaries of Che Guevara. He's uh, spoke with President Gerald Ford, asked him about point blank what went on with the President Kennedy assassination. And uh, his response was incredible. Gerald Ford's response, I can't remember. <laughs> Jeez. Tom, it was a delight, a pure delight. I can't say enough. I have had a, I can't believe two hours have gone by. I have had an absolute blast, and I've, you've educated me completely. Um, things I didn't know, I now know, <laughs> and I shall carry them forth. You've been listening to Night Fright. Um, I think, who's up next? The Truth with Justin, but I don't see Justin. What time is it? Kelleratil. It is midnight, and... Um, so there we have it. Just to wrap up, just to let you know, Friday night, folks living in Sudbury, anybody uh, traveling on Highway 69 right now or the Trans-Canada or from around the world in New York, um, Friday night at Chapters, very, very special event is going to take place. It's going to be our first live slash recording broadcast. Let me clarify what that means. It means we will indeed be live with this show at Chapters this Friday night starting between approximately 6 o'clock to about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, but we will be recording the show for replay the following Wednesday. Uh, the reason being is the expense of broadcasting live is prohibitive. It's something like $600 uh, to pay the phone companies to broadcast live and uh, CK. Whoops. Whoops. And CKLU, as you know, we got to get that mic a cable fixed every time uh, 
somebody jolts it. Anyway, CKLU, as you know, is a community radio station. It's also the Ranchin University's radio station. And uh, we don't have um, a lot of money, and uh, certainly not $600 for something like that. So it was our intention and endeavors to, to get out in the community and do some outreach stuff and to promote local writers, local filmmakers, etc., etc. And this is going to be the first, I hope, of many chapters. And we're going to be talking with none other than local Timmins writer, horror author, George Stratman. And George, as you know, has a series of books called The Converging. His second book is the one we will be discussing, called The Converging Mark of the Beast. So he'll be there. He's going to have books to sign. He's going to be answering your questions. It is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to chase those winter blues right out the door and right down the Trans-Canada. So that'll be Friday night, uh, as I say, happening between about 6 and 10 at Chapters right here in the Kingsway. That being said, thank you all so much for listening. Tom, can't say enough. I've had a blast tonight. Thank you so much, and we'll see you all on Friday, I hope. From Brent Holland at Night Fright. Thanks again. You're listening to Night Fright. Wednesday nights from 10 to midnight. CKLU 96.7 FM. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. (laughs) 